Our scripture today comes from Acts 22, 1 through 29. Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed towards Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed in you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. And he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Up to this word, they listened to him. Then they raised their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks, saying that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. But when they had stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, Is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, What are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, Yes. The tribune answered, I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, But I am a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid, for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen and that he had bound him. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning, everybody. It's good to worship the Lord with you this morning. 
And uh, my name is Andy, and I'm one of the uh, people who gets to be a part of the preaching team here, and I'm very thankful for that. And uh, boy, we've had a really neat ride through through Acts so far, haven't we? I love this book, and it really reminds us of a lot of great things about the Lord as we just read these narratives about what the Lord was up to then uh, that really points to uh, how the Lord can even be active in our lives today. So before we get into our passage, I'm just going to do a little bit of review uh, from last week's passage that, that Harrison took us through. So Jews from Asia, remember, are in this crowd that we see in this passage of 22 and 21, the end of 21. Uh, and they were the ones, they were zealous for the law, and they could be, there could also be some Christians in that crowd that were struggling with legalism, which is part of what Harrison took us through uh, last week as well. So Jewish believers and some Jews from Asia, and they're the, the Jews from Asia are the one, main ones who stirred up the crowd. So a lot of turmoil even before Paul gets to his response here, right? So like in verse 27 of chapter 21, uh, stirred up the crowd. That's what the, the Jews from Asia did, right? They laid hands on him. The whole city was stirred up in verse 30. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the city. They were seeking to kill Paul. Jerusalem was in confusion. The crowd was shouting. There was an uproar. The crowd was violent in verse 35. They were crying out, away with him. So craziness going on there with Paul. And here's what's amazing about all of that. Before we even get to our passage, in verse 39 of chapter 21, here's Paul's response to that. He, he goes to the tribune and he says, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. I mean, just think about that. All, the, all this stuff that they're reacting to him about. And he says, I want to speak to them. He doesn't write them off. He doesn't say, man, I got to get out of here. I'm not going to give them the time of day. Look at, look at what they're doing to me. He says, I beg you, please let me speak to them. So in our passage, we're seeing Paul's response. What he has to be able to do to speak to them. And we're going to find that in our passage today that the Lord gave Paul two main things. They gave him a testimony to share and a tenacity to stay in the game with unbelievers. Stay in the gospel sharing game, right? So a testimony to tell for inroads to the gospel with unbelievers and tenacity to stay in the game with unbelievers. Let's pray about those things. Lord, uh, you are God, and all the power rests with you. And so right now, Lord, we, we ask for your Holy Spirit uh, to work in our hearts and minds so that we would become a little bit more like Jesus today from this. So Lord, please do a gracious work in us. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you remember a, a few weeks ago, as we think about Paul's testimony as a gospel inroad, right? Uh, Harrison, when he preached on the, the passage where Paul was uh, speaking at Athens, right? 
And there were three points that I thought were so helpful that, that Harrison took us through in that passage that we must listen to the image of God before us. So the people that are before us that God puts in our lives who don't know him, they're made in the image of God and we need to listen well to them to hear about the things that are stirring in them, right? To be attentive to them. We must affirm the image of God before us. So there's, there's things we can affirm in people who are made in the image of God, just like us, as ways to connect with them for the sake of sharing the gospel with them. And then in the end, we must challenge the image of God before us. Sooner or later, the gospel has to come to bear, right? And that's going to be a challenge to people because it challenges our pride and our selfishness and the direction we want to go that's away from the Lord. So keep those things in mind as we go through this passage because there's going to be some overlap with some of that. I'm really thankful for this water in this moment. Mouth was super dry. <laughs> Thank you for whoever put that there. Um, all right, so listening to the image of God, affirming the image of God, and challenging the image of God. So instead of Paul with the, with the Athenians, he was observing how they were worshiping, and then he was saying things in relation to his observations with them. Now he's going to be using his testimony to make a connection with these people. All right. So his testimony in response. Verses 21, 40 through 22, 2. And just in this little section here, we see one way that he tries to connect with them. Uh, so right in the, in the chapter before, and when he had given him permission, Paul, standing on the steps, motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in the Hebrew language, saying, Brothers and fathers, hear the defense that I will make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. So the importance of talking to people in their own language, right? So Paul, you know, he speaks to Greeks in the Greek language, speaks to the Jews in Hebrew, Aramaic. And so the connection there with them is super important. And it, it gets their attention. It causes them to hush. And sometimes the Lord may be calling us to learn a whole new language, I know some of you are, are devoted to learning Spanish or other languages so that you can connect with people uh, to be able to tell them about the Lord even. And speaking someone else's language can also mean things like knowing their interests and speaking to them according to their interests. And even how they say things and speak about what's going on in their life. It's important to recognize those aspects of speaking their language. And Paul is going to do that those aspects of it too, as we'll see. So just speaking in the language of the person, the people that the Lord has put in your life. Also speaking with respect. We see that he addresses them, brothers, fathers. He addresses them with respect to say, hey, I'm about to say something to you, but I'm, I'm going to lift you up here and give you some respect. Then in verse 3, uh, he begins to appeal to them through his, his upbringing. He says, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city. So he's trying to pull, you know, say, make that connection with them. I'm a Jew, and I, I grew up in Jerusalem here. And so Paul was actually, he was born uh, in the Jewish dispersion, so outside of Jerusalem, but then he ended up, his family ended up moving into Jerusalem. 
So making that connection through his upbringing. And then he, he goes into his education. He was educated at the feet of Gamaliel, who was a highly respected teacher of the law at the time. And by this time, Gamaliel would have been uh, dead, but people would know of him because he's, his reputation went on for, for decades. Highly respected teacher of the law. And, you know, this is, when you think about the aspect of education, you know, it's, there's something about when we find out that somebody went to the same college we went to, right? You know, you immediately connect with them in that way or to the same high school, right? And we need to understand that the Lord can use connections with people, even just like education and shared places we've been, you know, that, that can build a relationship with somebody. So I went to the University of Cincinnati and living here in Greensboro, don't come across a ton of people who went there, right? Um, so when I find one, I'm like, ooh, all right, you know, we're making this connection, okay? Sometimes this is kind of embarrassing to my family um, because, well, I'll tell you this one story. One time we're in the Target parking lot, okay? I went to go uh, close the door for Jody. I start to walk around the car, and I see the van next to us has a UC Bearcat C on the back of it. So the rest of the family's expecting me to get in the car, and we're going to take off and leave. But I'm just sitting there thinking, I'm like, okay, there's people in this van right here who went to UC. How can I get these people's attention, you know, to, to you know, make this connection with them? So I go, I just knock on their window, and they, they start talking to me. And so my family, they see me start to do things like this, and they're just like, what is he doing now, okay? So I start talking to these people and find out that they know this other couple that we went to high school with and, you know, find out that they were really good friends with them. And so we find out, actually, this couple knows the Lord, and it was a neat connection to, to make there uh, with them. And, you know, heard later on from my family, like, you're weird, you know, uh, making these connections with people like this. So they've gotten used to it at some level now. But at the same time, you know, what if they, like, what if we got to know them, we made that connection, and they didn't know the Lord, we didn't hear that same story. And it's like, sure, I'd still love to connect with them somehow here in Greensboro, but when I hear that there's somebody, maybe who doesn't even know Jesus, who I have that kind of connection with, boy, I, I want to somehow keep that going, somehow. And so my kids even give a hard time, and they'll ask me later on, they're like, did you get that person's number? Um, because they know that I like somehow getting somebody's number to be able to connect with them and grab lunch with them or something. Uh, and I say all these things not to, like, this is the work of God in my life, to give me a heart that I, I want to connect with people like this, okay? So this isn't, this isn't me being great or anything like that. Um, but, uh, you know, the Lord connected me to a family right when we moved into the city, was coaching soccer at the Y. And one of the families that was on the team the dad went to UC and uh, doesn't know the Lord. So he and I have had many lunches since then and still connect with him. And I, it was like, as soon as I heard they were from UC, you know, bam, connection. Got to jump on that. Got to take advantage of that connection that the Lord has put there, right? Um, even more embarrassing. Uh, none of my family was with, with me when I did this, but this one time, it was actually just right over here on the bridge that goes over Wendover, or right here. 
And I drive up behind this guy, and he's got a UC sticker on the back of his truck. And I'm, like, driving up next to him. <laughs> I'm, like, trying to get his attention to go, UC, 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 like that. Uh, he didn't see me, unfortunately. Um, but I was, I was disappointed about that. I was, like, somehow, because literally, I just think, you never know how the Lord could connect you to somebody through something that you have shared with them, right? You never know. All right. Sorry, kids. Uh, more embarrassing. So Paul here is, is trying to connect with them, even in this small way of, of education that he knew that they would have respect for. Then he appeals to their zeal. Uh, he says, um, I was zealous for God, as you are all today. He, he said, I know you're trying to follow the Lord here. And I was doing the same thing you're doing today. I was doing that same thing. So he's appealing to their zeal. He wanted to follow God closely and even persecuted those who he believed were steering people away from God. So he was appealing to their zeal and saying, hey, look, I was in this same place. Then in verses 4 and 5, he shares about past sin and his spiritual ignorance, uh, how he was persecuting the Christians and all that he was doing to, to take part in that. He appeals to shared history and relationships uh, by bringing up uh, the high priest and the council of elders. And so he, there's all these different ways that he's making connections with them. And then in verses 6 through 16, uh, he really gets into sharing his full testimony, like how he came to know the Lord, how the Lord saved him. So that bright light, and we know the story, right? Uh, and Paul, from, we actually see it, I think, three times altogether in Acts, the actual time it happened. We see the retelling of it now, and we see it at another point uh, when he's uh, before a Roman official. He tells the story again. And this is really important for us uh, as we see the people that the Lord has put around us not only believers, but unbelievers too, to keep recounting how the Lord has saved us is so important for us. We need, to be, we need to be reminding ourselves over and over and over again how gracious and kind the Lord has been. And then honestly, like many of these other things, when we're reminding ourselves of all the Lord has done for us, then that keeps these things more on the tip of our tongue and on the top of our mind so that then when we see connections with people, possible things to either encourage other believers or uh, interacting with unbelievers, it's like because we've been chewing on how good God has been to us, then it's ready to come out more quickly. So, friends, we, we all need to remember that we needed a great light, like what happens here. We all needed a great light to penetrate the dark, wrong direction of our hearts and minds to change us. We all needed that. We'd be lost without that. We'd still be going in the wrong direction. And so even though we may not have a Damascus Road experience, we need to be humbled and remember that 
a light had to shine into us to save us and redeem us and change us. And so Paul tells them about this, and he displays humility by, seeking, uh, by speaking of his sin and wrong direction. And this is so important for us too, making our past sin and current sin struggles part of how we point people to Jesus. It's good, and it's not, it's not just to share struggle just to share struggle, but where we find opportunity and even places of connection, we hear this person struggling in that way, we can talk about, like if we did that too, we can talk about that. We can build that bridge with them. We can make that inroad to the gospel with them when we hear shared sin struggle, whether it's before we came to know Christ or we're still struggling with it. This is important for us when we're talking to unbelievers and believers. It's the thing that helps us to know as believers that we're not alone still, right? That there's people that the Lord is working with in our church families, just like he's working on us. So we need to have our sin struggles ready to talk about if we see the opportunity to make that connection with people. It speaks of our ultimate justifying need for him when we do that, and it speaks of our continual need for him. We still sin and need the Lord's help and his grace and kindness. Well, then in that same passage, uh, he, ch- he, he begins to challenge their beliefs in God, right? So he's, he talks about the fact that it's Jesus of Nazareth who is appearing to him on the road. There's this great powerful thing that happens, and who's at the center of it? It's Jesus of Nazareth. So the exclusivity of Jesus here, that's going to challenge what they think, because only God can do some kind of powerful thing like that. And so this is Jesus of Nazareth who is connected to this powerful thing. So that's going to be a challenge to them. And uh, he even makes comments even about Ananias. Remember the man who helped Paul? Ananias, a devout man according to the law, this is verse 12, well spoken of by all the Jews who live there. So this Ananias, this guy who all the Jews are, are good with, put their seal of approval on Ananias, this guy is pointing Paul to Jesus. So here's a Jew accepted by the Jews who is pointing Paul to Jesus. So this is going to be a challenge. I'm like, oh man, Ananias, that guy is well thought of. And look, he's, he was pointing Paul to Jesus. So challenging in their beliefs. Now, the, the challenge gets really uh, deep here with them in verses 17 through 21. Because now Paul, he's, he's showing his devoutness. He goes to the temple. He's praying in the temple. This is another connection. Hey, I was in the temple. I was doing the things that you all do. And here's what happened when I was in the temple. This vision came to me. And God, so God is appearing to him. And the, the key part of this appearance to him is that essentially he's telling Paul, all the Jews there, they're not going to accept your message. I'm going to send you far away. 
So he is now putting the authority of God on this vision that is an indictment against them. So this is what causes their stir next. But before we get to that stir, in Romans 10, this is really important for us to know about Paul's desire for the Jews. Okay, in Romans 10, here's what he said. Listen very carefully to these words. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, and he's talking about Israel, he's talking about the Jews. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So that summary of how Paul feels about how he wants to engage with the Jews, he has compassion on them. He wants to see them come to know the Lord. He wants to, uh, he, he sees them in their ignorance, their spiritual ignorance, and he has compassion. And he says, they have a zeal, but it's misplaced. And so I'm caring for them. And that formula at some level is kind of like a, a good formula to have it come bear on, on our hearts about how, how are we viewing the people around us that God, puts, that, that God is putting there. Do we have a strong desire to see the people that the Lord puts in our lives saved? Is that our heart's desire? Are we studying them well enough to notice what they are zealous for? but where they are misguided in their zeal. Idolatry is rampant, isn't it? So many things to worship other than the one true God. Everyone was made to worship. Every single person on the face of the earth has a heart and mind that was made to worship. The question is, what are we worshiping? And so we all end up being misguided in the direction of our worship. So what are they worshiping? Where is their zeal at? What are, they a trying, what are they trying to establish on their own? Their own righteousness. And ultimately, how can we connect them to Christ? Those are things that we should be, coming, like this kind of formula that Paul says in that his passion to see them saved. How are we thinking about those things with the people that the Lord puts around us? Are we devoting ourselves to seeing how our story can connect others to Christ? That's important. How can our story connect others? When, I, when have I been lonely? When has there been a time when I've been lonely in my life that then I, when I see somebody who's lonely and struggling that I can make that connection? When have I struggled with sin? Earlier this morning. When have I struggled with sin to where then when I see somebody struggling with sin, I can make that connection? When have other sins hurt me deeply? So that then when I see someone else who's been hurt deeply, I can make that connection. All these different things the Lord puts in our lives, our story before we came to know the Lord, when we've come to know the Lord, since then, 
All the things that he's been doing are ways to connect us to believers and unbelievers for the sake of giving him great glory and pointing people to him. So very quickly, let's, let's go through this idea of tenacity because he's, he gave Paul a testimony and he gave Paul tenacity to stay in the game, the gospel-sharing game, with unbelievers. And I love Harrison's message about Christian freedom. That essentially was a call to stay in the game with believers, right? So here we are, we're seeing Paul staying in the game with unbelievers, So really in 22 through uh, 29, there's a couple things we see. We see that um, their, their reaction to him is the same as what it was before in a lot of ways. They're shouting, throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air. I mean, it's like, chill out. Chill out, people. I mean, they're going crazy here, flinging dust into the air. And so this reaction is one that Paul has to stay in the game with them on. Now, he gets taken out of the game here by the Roman officials, right? But they had already been reacting in these ways beforehand. And he says, I beg you, let me speak to them. So he doesn't even, he doesn't even say, I'm, I'm getting out of here. I don't even want to talk to these people. Look at how they're treating me. So he stays in the game with them. That tenacity. Then, later on in this passage, he's about to get the lashes. All right, he's about to get tortured so that he'll, he'll say why he's, all this stuff's going on. So he's about to get the lashes. And he appeals to the fact that he's a Roman citizen. And so some of you are like, oh man, he totally took the easy way out. Why didn't he take the lashes? Um, <laughs> but there are times when Paul does take the lashes. When maybe he could have gotten out of that. And in Philippi, he actually took the lashes in order to build up the faith of the church. But here, there's a sense of shrewdness that he has in, in the midst of his tenacity to stay in the game here, a shrewdness to say, I'm going to appeal to my Roman citizenship. And we all know that because of starting this ball rolling of Roman citizenship appeal, he gets put before all kinds of officials to share the gospel with and all kinds of new people. So his tenacity to stay in the game creates more opportunity. So these are the kinds of things that we should pray for, for the Lord to help us to stay in the game with unbelievers. Don't be easily offended. Don't be easily offended. This actually takes us out of the game with believers and unbelievers. When we are easily offended, instead of building an inroad with people, it builds a wall. When we take offense so easily to things that people do. He could have easily taken offense to this crowd and said, I'm out. But he keeps pursuing after them. Don't be surprised at the behavior of people who don't have the Holy Spirit in them. You and I, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, would be in the same place or worse. We can't be surprised by people who don't have the Holy Spirit in them, by how they act. If we are, then that's going to be something that's easy to build a wall up for, to not keep pursuing after them and seeking to build inroads to the gospel. 
We got to stay in the game. Don't be surprised at those things. Don't let issues where people have freedom get in the way of inroads to the gospel. If you see somebody, somebody the way they might be dressed or the way they might wear their hair or whatever, I don't know, all the different things that people have freedom to do. If we let where people have freedom get in the way, it's walls instead of roads, right? And don't let the spiritual ignorance of people keep you from being compassionate toward them, like we see here with Paul. And we know that our Lord Jesus, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Don't let the spiritual ignorance of people keep you from being compassionate toward them. Here's these two last great reminders. Jesus came to build an inroad to the gospel in and of himself to us. Didn't he? He himself came to be the road for us, to get us to him. He became like one of us to die for us. Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Gospel in road from the glories of heaven down to us. And Jesus stayed in the game with us and pursued after us despite our sin and stubbornness. Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But we're not good people. And he died for us. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So Jesus came to build an inroad to us. And Jesus had heavenly tenacity to stay in the game with us and pursue after us. Amen. Amen.